supposedly recording everything, but we're at ayah number 26 for now. Okay, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here starts off by uh, saying something really interesting. He says, Inna Allah la yastahi so Allah is not ashamed of yastahi, right? Very common word that we use in Arabic. Yastahi means someone who's embarrassed, someone who feels shy. So Allah is saying that He does not feel shy or embarrassed to strike the example of literally a mosquito or anything that's above it. Okay. So what is Allah talking about here? And what's the point of the Mosquito. So ba'awla actually comes from the root word ba'ath, which means something very small. That's why mosquito is very, very, very small, right? And so what Allah is saying is Allah, it's a, it's a metaphor actually. Allah is using the metaphor of a mosquito to say that Allah will strike the smallest, tiny examples to anything that's above it, anything that's bigger than it. So He strikes big examples, small examples. And why, do, why does Allah strike examples in the first place? Because we've seen examples come right at the beginning of Baqarah, right? Remember, yeah? So why does Allah strike examples in the Quran? Very good, to help us relate, to help us understand. Um, any good teacher would use examples to clarify what certain things mean, especially if they're complex uh, concepts, right? Examples help us relate to them. Examples help clarify the meaning to us in a more deeper way. Yeah? So Allah, what Allah is saying is that whether it's a small example, a big example, and by the way, what are some of the examples? Are you familiar with some of the examples Allah gives in the Quran? Like for example, Allah describes certain people as الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ Allah says. Their example, He describes He's literally describing Bani, Bani Israel, like the, the scholars of Bani Israel. Allah is saying they are like the donkeys who carry piles and piles of books on their backs, but, they, but those books don't benefit them. So Allah in Surah Al-Jum'ah ridicules this attitude of having so much knowledge, having a huge library, having, you know, uh, hanging a lot of certificates and boasting about your knowledge and your degrees and your qualification, but that's not translating into good character. It's not translating into you being a good human being, into you being more loving, more kind, more merciful, more um, more like a human being, basically, right? You're missing some of the akhlaq, some of the basic morals and manners of a human being, a decent human being. And so, Allah gives an example of literally a donkey to describe people. He sometimes is, uh, gives the example of a dog. You know how when dogs, when they pull their tongues out and then there's saliva coming out, he uses that as an example to describe a certain person also. And there's multiple, multiple different places in the Quran where Allah uses examples. We saw the example of a man igniting a fire. Remember? We saw the example of rain coming down and thunder and lightning. Those were all different types of examples. Some are strange, some, some seem small, some seem big, right? So Allah isn't afraid or Allah isn't embarrassed. He's not shy to strike examples. Why? Why? What's, what's Allah trying to say here? 
Because you know, when you're shy, you hesitate, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what is Allah actually telling us in this? What's the point of this? He's not holding back. Okay, why isn't he holding back? Very good. Why isn't he holding back? Because you know what? If I was embarrassed to give an example, I would hold back, right? And then if I hold back, what's going to be the impact on the student? You won't get it, right? So, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's like a huge element of love and compassion for us. Is that Allah saying, I'll do whatever it takes for you to get it. I'll give whatever example I need to give. Even if it's a, a mosquito example. Even if it's a small example, if it's a big example, I'll do whatever it takes for you to understand what I'm trying to guide you to. Isn't that amazing? And so Allah says about a certain group of people, فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Now Allah is talking about how people react to these examples. There's two types of people, right? There's الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا and then there's الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا So how do the people of Iman respond to these amthal? Whenever Allah strikes examples, how do the, the people of Iman, and by the way when you say Iman, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا what does it mean besides those who believe? What, else, what does it also mean? Okay, feel safe. Um, right? They feel safe with Allah's matter. They feel at peace. They feel secure. So those who feel safe and feel secure and believe Allah in a peaceful way, they know that whatever Allah is teaching them is the ultimate truth from their Rabb. And we talked about Rabb last time. What does Rabb mean? Caretaker. The loving, caring master, basically, right? The caretaking master. So the one, the one who is going out of his way to give you a good tarbiyah, basically, a good upbringing, right? So they, they believe it and they submit to it. They don't argue, yeah. Sarcastically say, 
what kind of an example is this? You know, so they're, again, ridiculing Allah's way of teaching. They are making fun of it. They have the audacity to disrespectfully, you know, make fun of a teacher, basically. Right? And is that something nice to do? To a compassionate teacher who's willing to do whatever it takes to help you get the get the get the point, right? When you respond in a disrespectful way, what's that a sign of? Allah tells us. So this is a very, very important principle of the Qur'an that I think will help all of us uh, kind of do like a, a self-check on, right? So Allah says, With this book, with this Qur'an, right? with these teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah allows certain people, many people, right? Many people, Allah allows them to be misguided. And He allows many people to be guided. But as for those who choose to be misguided, Allah describes them as fasiqin. So what are we learning here? Good, we'll talk about that in the next slide. But for now, what we're learning about is that the Quran, we like. I, I thought, I assumed in that the Quran is a book of guidance. So it's supposed to, whoever reads it gets guided. Allah is telling us a different reality of the Quran also. Is that the Quran for some people, yes, it guides. But for others, the Quran is the source of their misguidance. Bihi, what does bihi mean? With the Quran. So Allah allows with the Quran for certain people to be misguided. Yes, exactly. So referring to the examples, but in general, right, this this book of Allah subhanahu Allah allows certain people to be misguided. Who are those people? And who does he guide this book? Or who does this book guide? Also many, right? So we have many people who get guidance, many people who get misguidance. So Allah's telling us, Allah's gonna now describe to us who this exception is? Who are the people who don't get guidance from the Quran? Allah calls them al-fasiqeen. And so, if you want to know who gets guidance from the Quran, how do we figure that out? You know, think sure. Because Allah didn't mention who's going to get guidance here. Right? He's just saying many will be guided, many will be misguided. And by the way, those who get misguided, they are the fasiqeen. So how do you know who is who gets guidance? Yeah. So if we understand what the word fasiqeen means, and who will be the people, and of course these are people who are misguided, then how do we know who are the guided? The opposite. The opposite. Very good. So this is another creative way where Allah teaches us in the Quran certain concepts, right? By telling us, He doesn't have to define both, right? You don't have to define both. Just define one and then the other is Exactly, it's, it's uh, understood by itself. 
وما يضل به الا الفاسقين. Now let's talk about this for a second, right? The Quran misguides many people. Do we see shades of that in our society, in our day-to-day -day lives today? Yes. Yes? Can someone share examples? Yeah, so suicide bombers, they keep throwing, you know, ayat of uh, killing the disbelievers and all sorts of evidence from the Quran, and then they, you know, assume that to be the truth, and, and that becomes a source of their misguidance. What else? All sorts of extremism is there, right? Who else gets misguided? Do many people read this book and turn away from this book and have an impression that this is a book full of punishments and they have the wrong impression about who Allah is? And do you see that also in our society? People who are not interested in Quran, they're not interested in anything to do with Quran or Allah because it's just a book full, filled with punishment and, and a, uh, a punishing God and it's Arabic, it's complicated. Not for me. You see that attitude also? So we see shades of that in our society too. So who are these fasiqeen? Let's let's look at the root word of it by the way. Okay? And by the this is uh, an extract from an app that I use. It's called Bayan Quran, where you can just long tap on any word in the Quran and it gives you the root meanings of the word. Right? So the root word, and why is this important? Because Arabic is not a shallow language. Now if you read a translation of this, like if you read an English translation, it would be a very shallow translation. It might say something like those who are disobedient or those who are misguided, whatever, right? That's, it's okay, but we want more depth, right? Just to do some justice to this uh, language, right? Which is very rich. So one meaning of fusq, which is the root word of fasiqeen, is those who commit disobedience. Okay, those who, again, because uh, quality of kufr, right? You go against whatever Allah wants you to do. Disobedience. Go astray. What does astray mean? We don't use this like nowadays in our day-to-day -day English, right? Mm -hmm. Astray. To go astray. What does that mean? <coughs> yes, exactly. To basically get okay. off track. Basically, That's an astray. Transgress. Commandment. What does that mean? Transgress. Commandment. Transgress. Cross the limits, yeah, so there's certain limits, you transgress those limits. Okay. That's also an attribute of fasaqa. Live in profligacy. I don't even know what this word is, so I have to look it up. Right? Anyone know what it means? No? So basically, profligacy is um, indecent, sexual indecency. That's the type of uh, attitude here also. Fisk. Uh, disorder also is an interesting one. Fasqeen are disordered people. Their life is not in order. Everything's a mess. And remember how we talked about like how um, our body is naturally supposed to be at ease, right? It's supposed to be in a state of Islam. But then, what happens when we get messed up and, and imbalanced? Disease. Disorder, dis-ease, that's what happens to us when we fall sick and you know, um, we have certain ailments in our bodies, certain uh, problems. 
So this order is another example or another, another result of this disobedience. We don't follow our guidance, your life becomes out of order. And when, it, when you're out of order, is that going to be a, a pleasant life to them? Obviously not. Right? Become wicked, also evil, you know, uh, yeah, and you want to harm people, basically. Um, commit lewdness, again, become perverted, so these are all like negative sexual kind of attitudes. Be impious, meaning you become disrespectful to God and disrespectful to you know, spirituality and religious teachings. And then acting wickedly. So it's like, so you see how rich one word is? Fasaka combines all of these into like um, one word. Right? And this highlights to the attitude of these people. So in Fasilim, again, when, when you listen to these words in the Quran, when Allah describes certain people as Fasilim, is that a judgment? What do you think? Is that a judgment? Is Allah judge certain people as Fasilim and that's it? No, it's describing their state. Right? Their current state, they're in a state of Fasilim. Just like someone could be in a state of kufr, someone could be in a state of Islam. So these states, are they fixed or do they keep changing? They keep changing, right? So Allah's not judging them yet. Because could someone be a fasiq and then he does tawbah and safar and he gets back on track? Yeah. Absolutely, right? So fasiqin are people who, Allah's describing those people who are in that state for now, right? Which again highlights Allah's mercy and Allah's wisdom, right? He's opened the doors for anybody to accept. Uh, anybody to, to repent and to come back to Allah's contact, right? So now, yes? What's the difference between character and fasting? So, they're interconnected in a way, right? There's, because you can see that fisk usually leads to kufr, right? Kufr is a more broader term. Fisk is one type of kufr, I would say. And so after learning the meaning of fasaqa, now let's try to connect the dots now. So what makes a fasaq misguided from the Quran? Why, why do fasaqin get misguided from the Quran? Let's talk about that now. Is that what Allah, that's what Allah said, right? He misguides the fasaqin. And he misguides many. And who does he misguide? Those who are fasaqin. So what are we learning also? There's many people many people who are now currently in the state of fisk. So what does it mean and how can we learn from, from this word? How can we understand why are they misguided? What's the attitude generally? So they want to disobey, they want to do whatever they want, they don't like limits. So there's ego, there's a sense of I do whatever I want, right? There's a sense of, um, yeah, I don't care about anybody else. And purely, like, if you look at these, like, impious, right? You're choosing to disobey intentionally, right? There's not someone who is, um, you know, on and off, sometimes he's okay. So no, these are people who are choosing in that state to defiantly obey commit disobedience and just transgress, become wicked. So there, there's a certain disease in their heart, right? They're not pure hearts as of yet. They need some purification. 
So that's what's being highlighted. And then Allah describes to us three qualities of these people also in more depth now. Number one, So what's another example or what's another deeper understanding of these fasati? And by the way, just to pause for a second, why is Allah going in so much detail about fasati? Yeah, and then so we can check ourselves and, and you know, purify ourselves with that. See? So underlying all of this is rahmah and compassion and love. So Allah wants us to be guided. Obviously the reader of the Quran wants to be guided. So I was telling you, okay, you want to be guided? Fine, just be aware of these qualities. Make sure you're doing inner reflection and checking yourself. Right? And he's going into depth. One, two, three, check. You have this, you have this, you have this. You see? Right? That's the first uh, description. So what does نَقْضُ ahd mean? يَنْقُضْ ahd What does that mean? يَنْقُضُونَ عَهْدَ اللَّهِ نَقْضُ الْعَهْدِ Very good. So نَقْضُ is, is to undo or open up a knot that's tied up basically, right? Uh, so they're basically undoing the promise. There's an ahd that they've taken with Allah, a promise, a covenant, a contract that basically has been signed between us and Allah. What are they doing? They're undoing that contract. They're not interested in fulfilling that contract. They're breaking that contract. Min ba'di mithaqihi. So what, is, what does mithaq mean? It's already been, it's a done deal, it's been sealed, it's been agreed upon, it's been stamped, it's been, you know, kept in a very safe place. Yet, so it's kind of like Allah saying, they agreed, but then after agreeing, they decided to break the treaty. You see the attitude? Okay. Have you ever come across people like that? Like you sign a contract with a partner, you're starting up a business, and everything is you know, agreed upon, but then when things go bad, they try to kind of deny the contract itself and say, no, 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 we didn't agree upon that. You show them in the contract, this is what we agreed on. They're like, no, no, no I, didn't, I never agreed to this. But you signed here, no, 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 but I didn't read that paragraph or I didn't read that sentence, you know? So they come up with excuses just to not fulfill that contract. So what is this contract that Allah is talking about? What is this promise? What is this covenant? What is this contract that you've signed with Allah? Any guesses? Any idea? When did we make a promise to Allah? Where did it happen? When did it happen? So Allah tells us in a different place in the Quran what this contract was. Right? So Allah says, and I believe this is sort of an am. وَإِذْ رَبُّكَ مِنْ بَنِي آدَمَ مِنْ ظُهُورِهِمْ وَأَشْهَدَهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ أَلَسْتُ بِرَبِّكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before creating Adam, right? He took all of the children of Adam, so including us, every single one of us sitting here today, including everyone who's alive, including everyone who's already died, including everyone who's gonna live until the day of judgment, all human beings' souls, right, had a meeting. It was like a conference. 
with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? And what's happened in that conference? Conference? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them bear witness upon themselves. He asked them a question. What's that question? Am I not your loving, caring master? Am I not your caretaker? And what did we respond? All of us, we said, Bella, Shahidna. Indeed, yes, Allah, you are our master. We agree. We uh, sign this contract that yes, we will be your, you know, obedient followers or slaves, whatever you want to call it, right? Bella, Shahidna. We bear witness. We all witness. For each other, right? So you know how like you have to have two witnesses in court or four or whatever, right? Who was the witness in that situation? All of us were, because we were all in it together, right? Nobody was absent. <coughs> we were every single one of us was there in that meeting, and, and there's no way to deny it, because everybody was there. Bada Shahidna. So a lot of scholars of Tafsir say that this is the contract. This, so what does this mean? That means that, have you heard that term that كل مولود يولد على الفطرة? It's actually a hadith of the Prophet That every soul when it's born, it's born into the fitra, it's born into Islam. It's born into its natural innocent state of purity. But then as they grow older, they get corrupted. They get programmed, they get, you know, uh, polluted with different thoughts, with different ideas, with different uh, understandings. And so, Allah's telling us, He's explained to us how that fitrah came to place. It's because we, we took that contract. We already signed this deal. Long, long time ago. It's a done deal. And, and did anybody deny this contract? No, nobody. Everyone. قَالُوا بَلَى All of them, all of the children of Adam have testified to this contract. Isn't that amazing? And so Allah says, Okay, I'm telling you this, but don't you dare on the Day of Judgment say, Oh Allah, we didn't know. Oh Allah, we were oblivious to this. Oh Allah, we were heedless to this. Because, you know, that's the classic excuse some people come up with, right? It's like, I didn't know that we had a contract. I didn't know that Quran was the truth. I didn't know that I had to be with Allah. I didn't know that there was guidance on earth. I didn't know that I had to be a good human being. What's the excuse to come up with this? I was just too busy with this life. I was too distracted with this world. Ghafil. It's someone who is heedless, someone who is unaware, someone who's completely distracted, right? And so we live in that age, right, of not weapons of mass destruction, but weapons of mass distraction, right? There's distractions everywhere. And so many people, they get distracted from this idea of, you know, spirituality and learning Quran and, you know, praying and making dua and understanding who Allah is, right? They're just you tell them come to this Quran majlis, they're like, no, we're just too busy, right? I'm going to the movies, I'm going to my friend's house, whatever. They can't be bothered. Their excuse is, we were just distracted. There's just too many temptations and distractions out there. But Allah's telling them, yeah, but you promised. You already made that promise. Whether you admit it or not, you have made that promise. And who knows that you made that promise? It's a trick question. So God knows that you made the promise, but what in you knows that you made the promise? 
the soul, the soul, very important. Your your ruh, your pure ruh. And so you know we're learning something profound here. Is that just as we take care of our bodies with showers and like, you know perfume and shampoo and all of that, we sometimes neglect to take care of other parts of our body. So besides our body, what else is in our body? There's this heart, right? This heart needs to be taken care of, needs to be purified with inner reflection and contemplation and forgiveness and istighfar and tawbah. Our minds, is it also part of us? Does it also need to be cleansed and purified? Through what? Yes, so through different techniques, like meditation is a great technique to calm the mind, mindfulness. Watching your thoughts, being able to silence, silence yourself and to be able to control your thoughts, being able to be aware of your thinking. Being, being aware that you are not your thoughts. Being aware that you and your mind are two separate things. And then, so you have the heart, you have the mind, you have the body, and what else do you have? You have the soul. The soul also needs attention. It needs our attention. The soul has needs also. What are some of the needs of the soul? Yes, okay, so what is this doctor? Let's go deeper. What are some of the needs of the soul? Salah. Hmm? Salah, okay, so prayer, yes. But what in prayer is deeper? So yeah, realizing that there's this connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, realizing his presence. Um, what else? Being at peace. <laughs> Being at peace. Being joyful, by the way. The soul loves to be joyful. That's one of the, the foods of the soul. Knowledge, one of the foods of the soul. Compassion and love, that's one of the foods of the soul. Creativity is one of the foods of the soul. Freedom is another food of the soul. So, you know, by feeding the soul, that's how we become more aware of this reality. We don't become from the ghafirin. But then the question is, why are most people ghafirin? Why are most people not aware of this reality? Why are most people getting misguided and, and going through a lot of pain and suffering in their life? Because of course, guidance is there to make our lives beautiful, right? What's the point of guidance? To make our life beautiful to make our experience of this life a beautiful journey right? where we can become the Khalifa of Allah on earth, where we can make this world a better place but then why is it that many people are being misguided, why, why is it that many people are becoming possibly, why is it that many people are forgetting this contract and why do they lose their spirituality distraction distraction what else Think about ignorance and what else? There's something really important here. What does it come down to? It's a very simple thing actually. Why is it that people are not giving time to their heart and their mind and their soul? They're giving time to... Everyone has the same amount of hours in a day. So it's, it's priorities. It all comes down to priorities. What are our priorities? 
we all have equal amounts of hours in the day. And we have the choice, we have the freedom to choose how to spend our days, how to spend our week, how to spend our month, how to spend our year. And so that's a, that's a place of inner reflection now, right? It's how am I spending my day? How much, how much, what portion of my day am I giving to reflect in my heart, in the state of my heart? Forgive others, forgive myself. What percentage of my day am I giving to calming my mind? What percent of what percentage of my day am I giving to learning about how to calm my mind? Because many people don't even know how to do that. Right? Yeah. And if you don't know something, what do you have to do? You have to learn it, read about it, attend courses, right? How do I give food to my soul? How do I silence the mind? How do I feel my mind? Even here, our bodies, by the way. Yes, we take care of our bodies externally, but what has happened to our diets and our nutrition and our eating lifestyle? And are we really compassionate towards our bodies? Many people are not feeling even on that. Right? So, that's one excuse. We were distracted. Allah is saying, no, no, that you can't use that excuse because you've already signed. The other excuse they come up with is What's the second argument they come up with? To, to claim or justify that they've forgotten that covenant or that contract? Our parents, they use the excuse of their parents. Don't blame us, blame our parents. They're the, they're the ones who did the shit. Right? We were just their children, so they've programmed us this way. It's not our fault, it's our parents' fault. Isn't that amazing? Right? And it's so real, right? And so uh, it's like there's, they're arguing, Oh Allah, you're going to make us go through pain and suffering because of what our parents did? That's not fair. Right? Is it a valid argument? <coughs> no, because who signed the agreement in the first place? We did. We were there also. Our parents were there. We were also there. And so we're learning here also a different uh, perspective on souls, by the way. Souls don't have ages. Did you know that? There's no thing as old soul, new soul, young soul. So there's the concept of age is not, not existent in, uh, in the soul space, right? In that dimension. Neither is uh, gender. There's no thing. We are all individual souls that Allah has taken contract from. And then we come into this world wearing a specific uniform, right? Whatever uniform that is, it could be a uniform of a, a mother at this stage, it could be a uniform of a, you know, an employee somewhere, or a businessman, or whatever journey you're going through in your life, that's the uniform you're wearing. But deep down inside, at your core, there's this pure soul that's crying for food, basically, right? And it wants you to kind of feed it. So is that clear how they've broken the promise? Yes? What's the second quality? And notice there's a wa here. Now what does the wa mean? So they break promises that they were expected to fulfill. And the wa means what? Right. And, very good. So wa is the plus sign, right? وَيَقْطَعُونَ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ أَيْنُسَى This is a very, very 
important one also. And notice now, who is Allah talking about? Again, Fasatin. Right? So pay attention. What's the second thing they do? They cut whatever it is that Allah commanded them to connect. What is Allah talking about here? What did Allah command to be connected that they disconnected? Any thoughts? Yes. Very good. So our family ties, kinship, you know, uh, parents, siblings, cousins, family, absolutely. Yeah. So that's one. Is that is that common nowadays for families to be broken apart? Yes. yes? Because of disputes and arguments and ego clashes. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's uh, jealousy. jealousy, inheritance, you know, marriage issues, invitations to parties. <laughs> so, yeah, Allah commanded us to to tie these uh, or keep these ties connected, but then the fasiqeen have no problem cutting those ties. It's also common for like children to cut ties with, with parents nowadays. Isn't that true? Yes? What else? What else has Allah commanded us to connect that we have disconnected? Very good. So the connection between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's another huge aspect of this, right? Is when you are constantly remembering, you're doing your dhikr, you're reading your Quran, you're doing your du'a, you're connected to Him by remembering Him. How do you connect to Allah? By remembering Him, by talking about Him, by listening about Him, by reading His words through the Quran. Being grateful. Being grateful. All of these things, right? So Allah wants you to be connected. So let's look at some examples here of like how the false self disconnects, whereas the true self, which is the soul, wants unity, right? So me versus we, right? Sometimes we separate ourselves, we cut ourselves off from society. And we start looking at ourselves our own benefits and we become oblivious and, and not careful about anybody else's um, needs. Right? So that's the selfish attitude. Isn't that separation also? Because Allah wants us to be separate from each other or connected to each other. Mm -hmm. The Prophet has taught us لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما but none of you reaches this level of iman until you love for your fellow brother or sister what you love for yourself. So, the idea of connection, right? caring about each other, having that compassion. Pride versus love. Blame versus understanding. Judgment is also a big one. Judgment. When you judge someone, you're, you're actually, it's coming from a place of separation. Because think about it, what, what do you do when you judge someone? What's going on deep down inside? Yeah, there's kibber, there's pride, right? I'm better than him, how could she do this to me? She's wrong, she's not dressed nicely, he's not, he's not smart enough. Like all these different thoughts that come to our minds. 
through judgments. Judgment is one of the biggest ones, by the way. It destroys separation. And you just notice throughout the day how many judgments through our thoughts we make. Like, we're not aware of them, but they just come. We got so used to them, right? So, homework for you guys is to, yeah? They become understanding, right? We understand them now. And so sometimes we judge, unfortunately, many people, they become religious, they get on the spiritual path, and then they start judging others as, you know, oh, she's so misguided, or he's so, you know, far away from Allah. And so that, that's another form of ego, right? Spiritual ego, when you start thinking that you're better than others in terms of your spirituality, in terms of your righteousness, which is another disease. And then there's hostility versus friendliness. And you know, we also saw the disgusting event that took place on the weekend in uh, New Zealand, right? I mean, that's the peak of separation, right? Where you literally want to eliminate the other with no no compassion, no, no humanity. Resentment versus forgiveness. And you're not willing to let go of your anger. It's, it's a separation. Again. Complaining versus great, being grateful. Jealousy, power. Power versus humility. Another big one. And we, we could spend like two hours just talking about the slide, right? It's so deep and so profound. But this is Allah commanded us to connect with others, to connect with Allah, to connect with ourselves. In fact, we didn't talk about this. Many people today are living disconnected from their sons. Have you thought about this? How can you be disconnected from yourself? Yeah, because the mind is taking over. The mind is taking over. So you're constantly just you know thinking about the past or the future, you're planning, you're worried, you're afraid, you're sad, you're judging others. And we don't even have time to just like take a deep breath and be present, right? When you're present, that's when you connect to yourself. Most people don't, don't even know what it feels like to be present. Right? Even in Salah, they stand, Allah Akbar, and there's thoughts going on, thoughts going on, saying Allah, Alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar, Salah, So external actions, right? Essential skills, especially nowadays, in, in our day and age where there's you know gadgets and, and so much information overload, opinion overload, Again, I'm not a mufti, but I say it's fun to learn these skills. If you want to be on a spiritual path, you have to learn these techniques. How to still the mind, mindfulness, meditation, you know, breathing exercises. It's essential, essential. And I have no doubt that you know the Prophet and the Sahaba they, they used to do all of these things, but somehow it got lost from our legacy. In the Eastern traditions they held on to it. And what do you notice now? Most of the world is attracted to those traditions, right? Why? Because it gives them that sense of peace, being present, breathing, 
mindfulness. So, materialism versus spiritualism, war versus peace, self-denial versus self-acceptance. So, again, separating from yourself, not accepting yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're not accepting yourself. You're judging yourself. You have all sorts of like ill feelings towards ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. I'm a loser. So again, The second description of the philosophy. And the third one is See how sometimes certain themes get repeated in the Quran? Has this come up earlier also? Yes, it came up. It's the description of the Munafiqeen, one of their qualities is وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْلِحُونَ If it is said to them, don't do fasad on earth, they say, we were مُسْلِحُونَ So what's the opposite of fasad now? Salah, مُسْلِحُونَ, right? So, fasid, salah, a rotten fruit versus a ripe and fresh fruit. So what's the third quality of the Fasiqeen? They spread fasad on them. What does a Khalifa do? What's the role of a Khalifa? What's, a, what's our role supposed to be? Why did Allah create us? Three jarrah fi ardi Khalifa. Yes, reform, cleansing, purifying, fixing things that need to be fixed, right? And by the way, you know, don't look at this as there's so many problems in the world and I need to fix problems. Okay? Reframe it as what are the possibilities where I can spread goodness. Because when you subconsciously look for problems to solve, guess what you're gonna get? Yeah, tons of problems in your life. Right? So be aware of that. What are the possibilities? What choices can I make to make a difference? A positive impact in this world. How to make this world a better place in whatever way you can. Through your job, through your business, through your voluntary work, through your community service, through raising your kids, through teaching, through writing, through whatever. And that's all it. By being what you want to do. Exactly. By being first, starting with yourself. And you know, facade again, it's uh, very prevalent, right? Allah says there's many of them that are into this idea of corruption and, and corruption, are, there's different levels of corruption. Who can give me some examples of corruptions? So we're seeing here corruption at, this, at the level of uh, power and authority and business and money, right? But what, what, where else do we see corruption? Yes, there's no integrity, there's greed. There's that's first quite transgressing. You know, there's no rules, there's no ethics. There's no morality. There's no right or wrong. Plus, whatever makes me money, whatever gives me power, I do it. I don't care about the consequences. But what other areas of our lives do we see corruption in that needs to be fixed? that needs to be cleansed. Intellectual. 
Yeah, which area is there? Can you be more specific? Okay, I'll share with you another slide and then we can um, show. Uh, so I'll share with you, this is, I want to talk here about corruption and the food industry. Because this is something I'm studying very deeply nowadays. So, again, depends on what theory you believe in, but according to some research, let's say we lived for hundreds of thousands of years ago, okay? millions of years ago. This is how our food habits evolved, okay, through time. So we started off many, many, let's say millions of years ago, controlling fire, cooking food, okay, at this stage. And throughout this entire time, what were we doing? Chasing food. We were hunt hunters and gatherers, right? literally, hunting for food, gathering plants, vegetables, fruits, for our survival. Yeah, exactly, okay? So you see how big this timeline is? So what has happened to us genetically? How, how have we been programmed? How, how has our body evolved? Exactly, what's in season and natural and exactly. Yes, exactly. And then, very recently here, right, you see all of these new additions that have come in. Okay, so for example, the development of modern flour was just 200 years ago. Industrial agriculture, pesticides, hormones, and all sorts of like inter interference in plants and vegetation. You have chemical manipulation of foods and fast foods and separation from forest and farm. Right? Another form of separation, by the way. Separating. So, you know, instead of being getting food from the farm and the forest, now you get it from Alyssa and from Guru, like, mm -hmm. right? So you no longer. Yes. Development of grains also. 9,000 years. So, so notice grains, flowers, all sorts of manipulation. Look at this word manipulation. This is what another form of facade is. Right? When you manipulate a muscle. Manipulating and you have to So the guy who thought of this idea of potatoes, do you know who he is? The same guy who introduced <laughs> cigarettes and tobacco into the world. Yeah, this is an ancient thing. This is the Indians. Like, like, it's just something very like that kind of thing. Especially yeah, I mean, when it becomes money-focused mm -hmm. rather than health-focused and nutrition-focused. Right? It's kind of fish, you know, everything's being fun. I don't have to a wild had the honey, I was watching a documentary about honey and how like 99.999% of honey today that you buy is not, not bee honey. 
And, and the honey that the Quran talks about that has shifa in it has to be pure 100% honey if you really want to get shifa right? and so again, without getting into detail but just an example of uh, how the Fasikin sometimes use certain ignorances in society to make money right? you find this facade in the healthcare industry you find it in the banking industry you find it Religion also. Right? Has there been fusk in religion? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Manipulation of religion to control people, to especially the Ben Israel, they changed their books, they uh, manipulated the, the words of God, literally, right? To, to fulfill their agendas and to have more power. And look at like the Hindu traditions, right? They have like the caste system where the Brahmas are at the top and like everyone is born into a, a system based on like a pyramid structure where you're lost, you're stuck in it for life. For generation to generation. So what you see do feel What does Allah say about them? These are eventually the leaders. These are the ones who will pay for it, right? Because they will not benefit, they won't gain anything, right? So the opposite of khasir is what? Muflah, right? Muflah is someone who gains something. So when Allah says you're khasir, that means you won't gain anything. You won't. So that's why, you see how it's connected now? Allah says, يُضِلُّ بِهِ كَثِيرًا, right? Allah, you're misguided with many, which means you will not gain anything. So we're learning here that guidance adds value to you. You gain from guidance. And you lose from his guidance. Allah is ghani. Allah is independent of us. He doesn't need us to be guided or misguided. It doesn't make any difference to him. Right? It, is, it is us who Allah wants to be guided because he loves us and he wants us to gain. He wants us to benefit. Does it make sense? Yeah. Shall we keep going? Yes? Okay. So another f- one of my favorite ayats, um, Allah then posts a question. So Allah's questioning the reader, the listener, right? We're all listening to this. Allah's questioning. How are you resisting this? How are you resisting me? While you were dead, and then he gave you life, and then he will make you die, and then he will bring you back to life, and then you will return to him. So what's Allah doing here? Yeah, I mean some people use this to explain reincarnation. Um, but what? What, why is Allah even doing that? Why is He even reminding us of the fact that He gave us life and death and life and death? Okay. Right. <coughs> so, you know how like when, when we die, what do we say? Right? So, we, we will all return to Him eventually. 
What does that have to do with kufr? And why is Allah asking this question? How can you resist Allah? How can you deny Allah? While He's doing all of this, and you will return to Him. We are all coming from this Okay? And then after you finish this whole cycle, you're going to go back to him. 
So, inna lillah, you belong to Allah, that's your start. That's the full cycle itself. So, you start with Allah, you're going to go back to Allah. And one question uh, that you know, one of my spiritual teachers answered, like, like one of our colleagues asked this question, what's the point of the world to come down to earth? Then? If it's with Allah, why not just stay there? What's the point of coming down to earth? Think about the census thing. To grow. To to experience life, basically. Because as a ruh, how do we experience our emotions and joy of life and freedom? How do we experience that when we are in our... What do we need to experience these five senses or the six senses or whatever you want? What do you need? You need a body, right? And so why does the ruh come into the body? experience that, to experience the beauty of life. Because if it's out of body, it has no experience. It doesn't have the tools to experience life. Right? So, deprived of sensation is in a way that when the world leaves the body, there's no more sensation. Because khalas, the body is no longer functioning. Deprived of intellectual faculty, again, so your mind could be, you know, intellectually dead, to be still, quiet, motionless. Interesting, huh? When you're still, that also means mouth. Motionless, calm. And that's what, that's, what, that's what happens when you die, right? You're still. No more breathing, nothing. To be calm and still. To sleep. The Prophet tells us that sleep is the sister of death. Because what happens when you sleep? <laughs> so again, your ruh also leaves. Yeah? Your ruh leaves your body, and that's why when you wake up, what's the sunnah dhikr to say? Alhamdulillah, alladhi ahyana ba'dama amatan. Alhamdulillah, alladhi ahyana ba'dama amatan. So technically, we die every night. I died last night. All of you died last night, according to this definition. So, so again, there's this alam. Some say it's alam al barzakh, where souls beat, and you know. The soul also And that's where dreams come from, and that's where there's a lot of like realities of dreams and stuff like that. So it's another world. Let's take, it up, let's take care of our lives here, and let's worry about what happens. <laughs> That's, uh, and what happens when you sleep, by the way? And I'm talking about deep sleep. So you know how like the brain has uh, different waves, right? Anyone knows what those waves are? Alpha, theta, gamma, theta, then there's delta. And there's so the deeper sleep is the delta sleep, right? Where you are literally motionless. Calm, lifeless, literally, right? Dried up by the earth. This talks about like the death of vegetation and plants. To seize, plus, wear out, be worn out, to be pure, reduced to poverty. Disobedient, even. 
Because what's, what's dead when you're disobedient and rebellious? lack spirit of life so you could be walking around but spiritually dead also so why am I sharing this because often when we study the ayat of mawt and hayat we just think of death and life and yamqiyama and just you know, but it's, the ayah is much 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 more deeper right it's, it's talking in different dimensions about uh, different aspects of life and death right? so let me share a couple the journey of the soul, this is what Allah is talking to us about. Right? So, He said that you start off in the states where you are, uh, you have no senses, right? That's the first death, right? Kuntum amwata, no, this is number one. Ahyakum, number two. Thumayyimitikum, number three. kum number four. And then Thumayyayiturjahun is back to number, f- there should be number five there, right? So this is where you are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you are technically dead because you don't, you don't have any life, right? You are uh, motionless, you don't have any experiences, no senses, nothing. And then you are blown into uh, your, your, the womb of your mother and then actually it's, it's done on the third month, I believe, after 120 days according to the Hadith. Do you guys know this? The Prophet actually told us which day the ruh is blown into the, the womb or the child when it's in the womb of the mother the 120th day isn't that amazing? Yeah. which is technically uh, the third month, right? Mm-hmm. that's why even a lot of fiqh about abortion is, uh, they ask about like, okay, which day uh, which, you know, because you're technically alive after the, the, blow, the ruh is blown into so you get life, you're born, and all of that, and then you die one day, you all die one day, and then you, this is the resurrection part, right, where Yom Qiyama and, and Day of Judgment, which is not necessarily a scary day, right, as it's been portrayed, right, for the believers, it's going to be an awesome celebration, right, just like your graduation day. Because, um, and you know, remember, connecting this to school, remember back in school when you um, did your exams, and then it's the day when the teacher hands out the report cards, right? Those who studied well, how, how are they showing up on that day? They're happy, excited, there's smiles on their faces, right? How about those who didn't study, those who didn't show up to class, those who those who kept missing the classes and kept being lazy. Those are the ones that are biting their nails, those are the ones that are sweating, those are the ones that are, you know, avoiding. So very similar. So we need to be balanced in our approach to day of judgment. Right? It is for both, right? There's celebration and there's fear, there's regret also. Right? Allah talked about both of them. Sometimes you have something bad happens and you feel like you die, and then you go back home and you bring it back to life and you feel like you can start over and then you know something. Amazing. Yes, absolutely. 
So let me share with you another uh, way that yeah, you can understand this is you're dead, right? Meaning you're the ruh. Yeah? You come into life as a, and you're alive here. You're full of life when you're a baby. You're full of life when you're a child. You grow up, you grow up, grow up, and then your parents and society and your friends and your teachers literally like kill you with all the negative programming and all the sorts of like they take the life out of you, right? So here you are living with your soul, right? You're like look at kids how happy they are all the time and they're just joyful and they feel that sense of freedom and uh, they're creative and right, there's no fear. But then as you grow older you start living with the mind, right? Because that's what most of society does. And that's how you die. You die. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects you to come back to life in this world, right? By getting on the spiritual path and making an effort to undo this death. And it's a struggle, it's not easy. So, your parents, your friends, society, TV, everything has taken that life away from you, but there is hope. Allah gave you the Quran through which He gives you life. Fahyakum could mean He gave you life through the Quran. And look at the lives of, of the lives of the Sahaba, right? What happened to them? They were dead, they came to life, and of course they died, their, their values died. They started burying daughters alive, they started like doing all sorts of things, wars, bloodshed. They used to push around the orphans and the misakim, you know, corruption at every level. But then the Prophet was sent to them, guidance was sent to them, Quran was sent to them, what happened to them? At least for a small minority, <coughs> life, spiritually alive again, guidance. And then they eventually go back to Allah subhanahu wa and you know what's really incredible is after this This is amazing here, right? So when notice what when where does it end before we go to Allah? You're alive. Meaning that all of us go to Allah alive. Spiritually speaking, right? So it's, it's another way of looking at it is you, you go to Allah when you're ready, basically. You work on yourself to undo this mess, but then when you're ready, you go to Allah. Yes? there's so much fear of death in most people? So again, social programming, uh, a lot of the things that... How do we undo that? How do we deal with that and become fearless of death? So, again, there's no shortcut, right? Because, I mean, these are all limiting beliefs that have taken years and years for us to kind of uh, program ourselves into. But the more we cleanse these limiting beliefs by, you know, Quran and you know, attending talks like this, uh, being around people who portray the other meaning of death, and, you know, you got to change your environment, basically. Uh, and this shift doesn't happen. If you're in this death environment, what do you have to do? You have to change your environment to the life environment, to be around people who give you life, 
listen to podcasts that give you life, attend workshops and courses that give you life, attend, you know, different gatherings that give you life. Inshallah today, I mean, for, for many of you, maybe this was the first time you hear this, and so this is that pinch of light now that's going to penetrate through that darkness. And then light is always stronger than darkness. Although there's layers of darknesses here, but light is always stronger. So sometimes it's just that aha moment that you need. Halas, it's gone. I no longer fear that. In fact, Allah in Surah Al-Jum'ah describes to us that the Banu Israel, the corrupt ulama of Banu Israel, they are the ones who are afraid of death. Right? Because they've been living a life of fisk and fasad. Right? So obviously they know that they're, they're going to be paying the price for it. They know that they're the losers. Yes? Yeah. I feel like here um, death comes from 2.1 is like Allah So, yeah, he created life and death for us to test us who, who of us is the best in your actions. So, I'm going to start making this world a better place. And again, you can look at this even from like a product life, life cycle, right? You have introduction, growth, maturity, and decline for products, for businesses. There's life of a business, there's a Death of a business in the life of a product, death of a look at Kodak, it's dead. Right? Nokia. Had life, was dead now, came back to life without the pixel camera and stuff, right? So this these are different cycles that Allah even seasons, what happens to seasons by the way? You have winter winters where everything is dead, right? And then 
spring, summer, fall, right? So this cycle of life and death, life and death, life and death. And so you can see this going on. And so another beautiful thing here that we learn is why we should never judge anybody. Because they could be here, right? But one day they'll be here. Maybe they're trying to get here. Maybe they're still here. Maybe you're, you claim that you're here, they're here, and you're judging them, right? But maybe they are on their small baby steps path of getting there, right? Yeah. I have a problem Justify to myself that he's in this state, but he might just get there. So, could you elaborate on that? But uh, holding on to that anger towards him, is that helping you? It's not helping me, but it's uh, so not helping me. Okay. So letting go would be a better option, right? And so what we're saying is, you don't have to say that he's a nice person, and that he didn't mean it. You're just saying, be neutral. You know? So there's, yeah, so not judge, not, not being judgmental means also being neutral. And so, we're not asking you to think goodly about everybody and like Don't you have to put a value judgment within yourself in order to know what you don't want to be like? So for example, if I think of him as cruel and full of hatred, mm -hmm. it's a reinforcement to me that I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And that for me, imagine, should be focused on love and humanity and compassion so, as so opposed yes. to being like him. So, so in that, I am placing a value judgment on whatever. So I, I would redefine that as awareness. So there's a yeah. subtle difference between judgment and awareness. So when an incident like that happens, right? First of all, let me step back, right? So this will help you all, inshallah, and, and how to deal with this situation. Whenever it comes to certain, like let's say this person who did this thing, right? Is he a bad person or were his actions very bad? His actions. Yes, exactly. So separating actions from people is, is one way for you to kind of realize, okay, did, did this person have a soul? Yeah. Or no? Yes. Yes. Right? But Adam, we all took the covenant. Did he take the covenant with Allah also? Yes. Absolutely. Right? So he has a soul. Yes, it's, it's hidden and he probably like, you know, buried it somewhere. And his actions are terrible. But for me, I need to be aware of his actions without judgment. And that awareness of his actions will help me learn my lessons and, and avoid being that. But then, because judgment is going to harm me, it's going to burden me, it's going to be heavy on me. Yeah, I mean, judgment is not about the other person, it's about me. You want to live a life of peace, you want to live a life of joy and freedom. Let go of judgment. Judgment binds you, it restricts you. It's 
you know, you lay the sadr basically, the chest gets contracted. Right? Whereas in Shirah al-Sadr makes that easier. Expanding the chest is letting go, not judging, being neutral. And people might think you're crazy. Like, you know, your friends ask you, so what do you think about this man? You say, you know what, I'm neutral. You might think you're crazy, and, and that's actually a sign that you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Even like earlier, um, a couple of weeks ago, remember the India-Pakistan incident? Because like, yeah. yeah. you know, our family's from Pakistan, and so like, everyone was talking about how messed up India is, and how amazing Pakistan is, and so we were asking my opinion, I was like, you know what, I'm for peace. I'm not taking sides here in Pakistan. How dare you not take, <laughs> not take the Pakistan side? How dare you do that? That's so like disloyal of you. Right? But again, I choose to be neutral because I want to maintain my peace of, my sense of peace. And Pakistan, India, that separation, right? Mm. Allah wants us to be. Very good. 
Again, this idea of life and death also that you know sometimes we go through times in our life where there's death and then you want to come back to life, right? Where there's joy, there's when your soul is full of life. You reach the state of the nafs al But here you're nafs al-lawama or nafs al-amara But then you come into the journey of nafs al-mutmainna. Shaitan Rajim wants you to be in the lowest of the lows here. Hayat al-dunya, like we've called it in different ways in the Quran, the low life of desires, of uh, you know, powerlessness and victim. And here is al Hayat al-Tayyibah, the beautiful life, where you are living from the, where the soul is leading your life, not the mind. Because remember, Shaitan's biggest tool is the mind. Why do people become fearful, full of depression? Because khalas, the mind has taken over. They become enslaved to the mind, and the mind is just playing all those sorts of games. That's a nafs al-amara basur. But here, there's this tawbah happening. We're going back to Allah, this is journey happening, and then you know, hopefully you reach these states, higher states of uh, love, appreciation, joy, knowledge, all the qualities that the soul needs. So this is what Shaitan Rajim wants to do, this is what Ar-Rahman Rahim wants to do. And the root of the Rahman Rahim is connection to Allah. Rahim is the womb of the mother that connects the child to the mother. So again, separation versus connection. So cutting is always shaitan rajim. Like for example, in the hadith, the Prophet tells us how like the shayateen, what's the biggest celebration for a shaitan? Because you know, Shaitan at least has like different, like an army of Shaitan working for him. So when do they celebrate the most? Divorce. Divorce, very Because that's not just separating a couple, it's separating the couple, destroying the children, society, families. It's like a ripple effect in society. Right? And, and that's why it's like a dominant effect. You, know, you see that in, in, uh, 
So again, that's a different topic, but divorce, like 90, 95% of divorces can be resolved that way, right? With like good coaching, with good awareness. It's the 5% minute cases where, you know, they agree in a very healthy and, and mutually like agreed upon way that, you know what, we have most of each other, let's just go on our, our path. But usually it's ego clashes and, you know, and that can be resolved if there was um, some you know, desire to kind of uh, make it work. Right? The easy way out is to get, get divorced. Although they were in your life to teach you so many lessons that you could have learned throughout your journey. Right? So it's either you, so again, the Abdulakum, right? Your test was to survive that marriage, but what's the easy way out of the test? Text messages and philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, uh, it's okay to disagree each other. I, s I haven't finished, but I think I think it's enough for today. Yeah. So we're at 28, inshallah. I hope it was uh, some food for thought, for food for your souls, and food for your heart, inshallah. Subhanallah, <laughs> The first, 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 the